So if we, in our northeastern context 2017, if we zoom in to the spiritual climate uh, in this particular region, the northeast, it can easily feel like the gospel is losing ground. Right? We're in the northeast. We zoom into that and the suburban post-Christian, northeastern context, we can easily feel like the gospel is losing ground. Right? Christian values are not held. Church attendance, uh, somewhat of an easier metric to measure, is declining. Onondaga County, as you may have heard us before, is 3% evangelicalism. So, Really a church that stands on the gospel, believes in the Trinity, embraces the Word of God as truth, believes in the deity of Christ, the all-sufficient work of Jesus, His second coming, the role of the church in the world, just the basics. Only 3% of people that live in this county adhere to those things. So the opposite is 97% don't. So 500,000 people in our county, only 15,000, would consider themselves to be evangelical. That's bleak. Church attendance. About 15% of people go to church of any kind. That means 85% of the people that live in our county are not in church right now. Okay? Anywhere. Any kind of church. So if we zone in on that, it looks bleak. It looks rough. Barna did a recent study. The top 10 most post-Christian cities. And 8 out of the 10 cities in the United States were in the Northeast. 8 out of the 10 most post-Christian cities are right here in the Northeast of our nation. Again, zooming in to where we are in the times that we live, it can easily feel like the gospel is losing ground. And then we zoom out. We zoom out to consider a global reality. A larger context than our own, the Northeast. I had a conversation with Jordan Stinziano this week. He's one of the elders at Missio Church. He travels often. Much of his work as an elder there is to extend their mission, vision, and values throughout the globe. He's much more in touch with those realities than I am, and I suspect most of you. And so having a conversation with him, I asked him, what's going on in the world? And he gave me three very powerful words that should encourage every one of us. Massive gospel advancement. Do you hear that? If we zoom in, We go, brother, where are we going? But if we zoom out and get a global picture, we see these words. Massive gospel advancement in the world. He talked about India, which is 10% Christianity. Which, oh by the way, is 100 million Christians. 
That's a lot. 100 million Christians. I know only 10% still. But you have to understand that much of that growth is in the last 20 years. The last 20 years, there's been massive gospel advancement in both the southern part of India into the northern part of India. God is at work in the world through His people. I think we can just wake up to that reality today. Yeah, if we stare at the northern suburbs of Onondaga County, man, we just feel like, what in the world, right? But if we wake up to a bigger reality and zoom out, we get massive gospel advancement. He talks about Russia as well, which we might easily write off. He said massive gospel advancement through unlikely people, the Ukrainians are going back into Russia and are planting churches there. And we're seeing massive gospel advancement. China. Massive gospel advancement as the church is growing. Cuba. The church is strong in Cuba. Very active. Seeing conversions and baptisms. You see, God is at work in our world. That's the fact. Period. End of Story. Now, interestingly enough, he went on to also say that in the midst of this massive gospel advancement, there is also massive uh, cultural hostility toward it. Which I think is interesting to couple that, right? So, you have massive persecution against a movement that is massively growing. There's pushback from the enemy and from the world around it. This is not unlike the days in which Paul wrote the Romans, uh, of the letter to the Romans. God is powerfully at work in our world today, and He was then, 2,000 years ago, as Paul pens this letter. But the question is this, if God is powerfully at work in the world, what do we do with that? How do we respond to the reality and the fact that God is powerfully advancing the gospel through the live, in the lives of men, women, and children throughout our globe. That's the real question I think that this text raises. It's the, it's the thanksgiving part of the letter. It's customary. Paul's writing a letter to the Romans as we talked about last week. He's writing to the church at Rome. He's, he's introducing himself. And now, as is customary, he's thanking them. And in other parts of his letters, he's praying. He's speaking of a prayer for them. And so we turn to this section, chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Open your Bibles with me. If you're on your smartphones, please turn off your notifications. Facebook doesn't need to communicate with you right now. This is your time to hear from God in His Word. Let's see what He says. Through Paul to the Romans. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking, that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. 
For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Paul is grateful to the church of Rome because of their faith. Right? First one. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all of the world. Paul is in a place of thankfulness, in a place of gratitude. And he's thankful for their faith. He's writing from Corinth, and he's far from Rome, and he's recognizing that this faith of Rome is being taught and proclaimed and spoken of and celebrated throughout the whole known world at the time. He's grateful uh, for their faith. And yet we see that Paul is thanking God through Jesus Christ for them and this faith that is being proclaimed. Why in the world would Paul be thanking God for their faith? Right? Shouldn't he be thanking them for their faith? Shouldn't Paul be thanking them for what is being proclaimed throughout the whole world? Why is Paul thanking God through Jesus Christ for the faith that they have that is being proclaimed in all of the world? Here's a simple answer. He's thanking God because he knows where their faith comes from. He understands the source of their faith. He recognizes that without the initiatory work of God in the lives of men, women, and children, there will be no faith to be proclaimed in all of the world. Unless the Father by His Spirit is drawing, there is no faith. There is no seeing who God is and what He's accomplished. And there is no responding to that God with faith. God is the source of and the initiator, and the giver of our faith. That's why He thanks the Father for it. If there's no work of God, there's no faith in people. It's that simple. John Calvin says, He who gives thanks to God for faith confesses that it comes from Him. Again, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of 
of God's sovereignty and salvation and and the, the will of man, no matter where you fall on it, that's not what I'm getting at, here's the recognition that we all make. If God is not at work in the hearts of men, women, and children, there is no faith. There is no response. There is no removal of the blinders. There is no softening of the heart. And so if you're here today and you're wondering at all where your faith came from, why you have responded with such reliance upon God, understand this, that it came from God Himself. That He is the source of your faith. He is the one that awakened this faith inside of you. That it came from Him. That you have no, in no way, shape, or form can look in the mirror and pat yourself on the back and say, man, I've done good. I've trusted in Jesus. God is being thanked because Paul recognizes that God is the source of their faith. And in this recognition, he's saying, listen, the faith that's being proclaimed in all of the earth, look at that just tells me that God is at work. He is moving by His Spirit in the declaration of the Gospel. He's moving in the hearts of men, women, and children throughout the globe. And how am I to respond to that? Thankfully. Thankfully, because God is at work in the world, we respond gratefully. Thank you, God, that you're at work in the world today. Is that your heart this morning? Is that your heart? Are you so consumed with your own circumstances and life and the difficulties that you face? And I'm not to minimize them this morning. And all the struggles and suffering and turmoil that maybe, maybe you're wrestling with today. Are you so wrapped up in your own circumstances? In your own realities? That you've missed out on the greater global reality, historic reality. That God is powerfully and miraculously at work in the world to draw men and women and children into relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. That wasn't just something that took place a long time ago. It's something that continues today. As Dwight Smith said, there are more Christians in the world today than there ever has been since the resurrection. I don't know about you, but that ministers to my heart. That wakes me up to a deeper reality as we slug away in the northeast context of America. As we struggle and we, we're frustrated why do we not see faith? Why do we not see baptism? Why is this so difficult? Why is our culture going downhill so fast? Why You feel like that is the defining reality, but when we engage the fact that God is powerfully at work in the world, I think that that wells up inside of us who treasure it, right? A gratitude. Thank you, God. Can you say that this morning? Thank you, God, despite all I'm going through today. Thank you, God, that you're at work powerfully in the lives of men, women, and children. That's how we respond. Because God is at work. We are a people marked by gratitude. Thanking our Father for His powerful work. Second, we see this, verses 9-13. through 13. That he doesn't just respond to this reality, this faith, with gratitude, but he also responds prayerfully. 
That's the second response that we should have as we understand what God is doing in the world. That we should be marked by prayer. What is Paul praying for? He's praying that he could go there and see this and witness this. He's using very strong language. He's saying, for God is my witness. You can trust my words. I'm being sincere. I'm not lying to you. Maybe you think this is just a customary opening to a letter, but I want you to understand this is very authentic. This is very real. And I'm calling God is my witness. You can bet the farm on it. You can be guaranteed of this reality. That I am without ceasing mentioning always in my prayers you. Asking the Father or, or begging the Father really. He's, he's begging God in prayer. He's begging Him. He's crying out. Very strong, emotional, pleading kind of language. That I may now succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. Paul longs to be with the Romans. He longs to get there. We see that he was not able to. He's been often prevented. He's intended to go and to come to the church that is at Rome. But he's been prevented. He's been begging God. Long story short. God has been saying no. He's grateful for the work that God is doing in Rome. And he's begging. He's crying out to God. I want to go there. I want to see it. And why does he want to go there? I know. He wants to take in all the entertainment of Rome. He want, he's heard about the food in Rome. He's heard about the pasta, right, Jer? He's heard about the food. He's heard about the entertainment. The weather's a little more relaxed and more enjoyable than Corinth and Jerusalem and all that. Hey, I just want to go check out the weather. I want to take in all the, the arts. Is that why he wants to go to Rome? No. Look at what he says. He doesn't want a vacation. He doesn't want to check out Rome. He wants to visit Rome so that he might share the grace he has to strengthen them. Look at what he says. I've been doing this. I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He doesn't go with selfish reasons. He doesn't want to just check it out and consume some sort of religious good and service and go, wow, that's pretty cool. Man, they're doing a great thing. Did you hear their worship style? Did you hear their preaching? Wow, that's really cool, man. That's not what Paul's doing at all. He doesn't come with a receive-only mentality. He's not coming as a consumer into the life and the, and the ministry of this church. No, he's coming with the intention of investing in the lives of those people. He's coming with an others-centered focus. I want to share something that God has given to me for your strengthening, for your consolation, for your good. Paul wants to go to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What is meant by spiritual gift? Is it the spiritual gifts like, you know, the lists and 
Corinthians and Romans? Maybe. Maybe that's what he's getting at. Is he talking about his role as an apostle? I think we're getting closer. At the end of the day, this is it. I think. In simple form. He wants to share something that he has. Okay? So a gift is a manifestation of the grace of God. I think that's really important for us to, to just wrestle with right now. That, that our gifts are manifestations of God's grace toward us. That He's dispensed in His sovereignty, right? That he, he ascended on high, He gave gifts to men. Manifestations of grace. God is at work in the world. How so? Through His people who have His grace in them. And that grace that they have received from Him is being manifested in the way that they live and relate and function in the body of Christ. And all of that grace that is manifested is empowered by the Spirit. It doesn't come from ourselves. We don't conjure up some great skill and ability. This is a Spirit-empowered manifestation of the grace of God for the good of others. I think that's really important for us. In this confusion and distortion about what spiritual gifts is. Let me be very clear. Spiritual gifts are not about you. And they are not ultimately for you and your fulfillment. Did you hear that? That is very important. Spiritual gifts are not something to be held like an idol, if you will, and cling to and fully defining of everything that we do. That's not what it is. Spiritual gifts are not meant to be celebrated and, 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 and become famous with. Wow, what a gift he has. That we're missing the whole point. It is a manifestation of the grace of God empowered by Holy, the Holy Spirit for the good of others. And what Paul is saying is, I want to come to you because I want to share something that I have received from God. Because that is the very nature of my work that is the very nature of what God is doing in and through His people. That is the nature of biblical community. Us sharing grace with one another. And when we do that, our faith, our countenance, our walk with God, our corporate body is strengthened. See, grace that is shared brings strength to our lives and our faith. That's what it's about. Paul wants to go to Rome because he wants to share what God has given to him for the benefit of the church at Rome. Is that why you've gathered here this morning? Have you gathered to be fed only? I just need to be fed today. Survey said... Go ahead. Survey said? Good. We want to feed you. The Word of God will fill you. It will satisfy you more than anything else. The preaching of the Word, it is critical to the life of the believer. You will be fed. And the minute we stop feeding you, raise your hand and say, something is wrong here, because that's central to what we do. But understand this, we don't come with a one-way street in biblical community. We don't only have something to learn here. We have 
a, a gift to share and to help other people learn. We've been talking about this so much in missional community of late. That when you approach missional community, when you approach the gathering of God's people, the question is, how, what are the expectations that we have when we come? I think so often we've said, well, I expect this to benefit me. I expect to walk away with some practical truth that will help me live a better life. I expect to have a good time with my friends. But really, those are good things. But understand this, that we should always come to every meeting with a sense of helping others do that as well. So if we come with an expectation to learn, we should come with the expectation to help someone else learn. You say, oh, I've already read through Ephesians. Well, maybe someone else in the room has not. And oh, by the way, you could read another reading of Ephesians, amen? Maybe you're there for the express purpose of sharing something that you have with someone else. It's not always about you receiving. It's about you giving. It's not always you about, you, about you being cared for and, and making sure that all the dot, uh, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed in your life. Sometimes that God is calling you to sacrifice and invest and to pour in. And that your expectations in community should be just that. That every single time that I engage people in the body of Christ, I should come with a mentality that says, I'm going to share something God has given to me to strengthen someone else. I think this teaches us a lot. And really, Paul understands that it's not just about him investing in them, but he recognizes that the nature of gospel-centered community is a matter of mutual giving and receiving of grace. Back and forth. Right? Look at what he says. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That that's exactly what the body of Christ is. A, a community of people that share the grace of God. They've all received grace, but it gets dispensed through people in differing ways in the body. And so every time we come together, we come with a, yes, I'm going to be fed. But understand this, I'm also going to pick up the spoon and put food in somebody else's mouth that needs to be fed. That it's a reciprocating of grace Back and forth. I think a lot of us have to do some thinking on that and reevaluate the way we approach community. Thomas Schreiner says this what inspires and fortifies other believers is when they perceive faith in other Christians. Seeing other believers trust God in the course of everyday life reminds us. That God is indeed faithful and encourages us to trust Him as well. Mutual strengthening of each other's faith. And that's why Paul wants to go there. He wants to receive grace. He wants to give grace and power by the Spirit so that the faith that they have is strengthened. Let me say one thing. When you withdraw yourself from Grace-filled, Spirit-empowered community. It's detrimental to your faith. It weakens you. And oh, by the way, it's detrimental to the body. 
it's weakening of the body. It weakens the body. You often think no one notices or no one cares when I'm not there, when I don't say anything. Why they didn't offer that perspective. No one cares, no one notices. That couldn't be further from the truth. No one is indispensable in the body of Christ. Every part equally doing its work, working together interdependently to build and strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. So we need everybody. All in. 100%. If this gospel is real, if this gospel has truly transformed your life, then it has radically reshaped every value that you have, every behavior that you live into. This is a big deal. And it radically reshapes your understanding of family, of community, and it binds each and every one of you together into a corporate covenant community. And every single one of you matters here. Every single one of you. 100%. All in. Grace sharing. Back and forth. Receiving and giving grace. Imagine the kind of church we would be if we grew in these matters. I'm going to give, I'm going to receive everything that we do working hand in hand. May we be a prayerful people begging God for the opportunity to participate in what He's doing in the world. He doesn't just want to see it. He wants to participate in what God is doing in the world. Is that your begging? Is that what you say when you're on your knees? Oh God, give me the opportunity to give and receive grace with other people. Is that your longing before God? I pray that, pray that that happens in your heart today. That He reshapes your desires and your values. If you want to know, do I desire it? Ask yourself, am I praying for it? You know what you want that you can't seem to get on your own by your prayer life. So evaluate it. Are you praying that God would give you opportunity to participate in grace giving and grace receiving in the body of Christ? Something to throw out there. Last thing, and I'll try to make it brief. The last thing we do is we, we respond faithfully. Look at what he says. I'm under obligation. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the, un, the wise and the foolish. So... I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. More strong language. I am under obligation. I am indebted. I'm living with a sense of indebtedness to God and you. That's powerful language. What is he getting at there, right? That language of indebtedness is language that we don't like. We have it in, in 2017, like total disaster on student loans, credit card debts, all the debt that we're in. We're doing everything that we can to get out of debt. Somebody can finally say amen up in this mug. Right? We're trying to get out of debt. Why is he wanting to be in debt? What is this indebtedness? I think John Stott's illustration was the most helpful as I thought through this. He said this, there are two ways you can be indebted to somebody. One is simple. You borrow money from them, and now you've got to pay them back. You're indebted to them, right? 
You get the mortgage payment every month. <laughs> it's a reminder of your indebtedness. They gave you X, you got to pay them X plus Y. Hashtag interest, right? It's one way to be indebted. But there's another way to be in a place of debt. Someone gives you money to give to someone else. It's an entrusting of resources to someone for them to give it to someone else. So a third party is providing for another. You have something that has been given to you, but you are only have it for the purpose of giving it to the other person. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's a way that you live in a state of debt. That is the kind of debt that Paul is talking about. I thought Stott nailed it on the nose. You see, he lives indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. He lives indebted to them. Because God has given something to him for them. That is the gospel. He had received the gospel on the road to Damascus. He saw the risen Christ. He received the call. That gospel radically transformed Paul's life. And because that he had received that, he was now indebted to give that and dispense it to the Gentiles, the Greeks and the barbarians, the, the, really to everyone. And I think that that confronts our understanding of what has taken place as God has saved us and entrusted us with the gospel of Jesus. The good news that He is victorious over Satan, sin, and death. When we receive that, when it takes a hold of us, we now live in a sense of debt, a sense of obligation, that if we receive it, we are to give it. We are to dispense it. To every man, woman, and child that we come into contact with. So let me ask you something. Do you live with a sense of indebtedness, obligation, that because of what God has done in your life, that you are now a recipient of grace, but now by the very nature of receiving it, you are an instrument of grace in this world? So we don't just respond with gratitude. Thank you, God. We don't just respond with a prayer. Help us to participate in it. But we respond faithfully. Understanding that the way in which God moves in the world is through us, our lives. By calling us and using us into the relationships and places that He has sent us. We live in this world with a sense of obligation and indebtedness. We have received the gospel. And now we have an obligation to give the gospel. What a powerful thing. I'm going to share personally about this. I've been a pastor for 13 years. You're thinking, I thought you were 13 years old. Close. Uh, yeah. Um, and just to be frank, there have been times in 13 years where zooming in, zooming in, has led to a distorted perspective 
on who God is and what he's doing in the world. The mirror is the worst place to look to get a sense of reality. Amen? There have been times over the last 13 years where I've wondered, should I do something else? Should I throw in the towel? Because this is rough work. It's not like trying to get people to eat pizza or show up at a, you know, at a Facebook event, you know, be, be, be on Facebook. Like, you're asking people to believe in Jesus in a northeastern suburban context. You're asking them to give their lives to this. This is hard, hard gospel. God has to work a miracle kind of work. And I've felt often like maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to do something else. Woo! And I'll tell you what. Every time I've gone down that road, I've then asked the question, well, what are you going to do? And I look in the mirror, back to the mirror, and I'm faced with the reality that no matter what I do, this is the obligation of which I live under. No matter what I do. See, there's nothing special about pastoral ministry, right? That's the silliness of it, right? If I left pastoral ministry and went and did something else, guess what I'd be living under obligation to do? Bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child in the geography that I have, in the relationships that I know. So I can't walk away from this calling. It stares at me. I'm indebted to it. Jesus has showed up in my life, radically transformed who I am. And He's called me to dispense that grace, that gospel, into the lives of people that don't know Him. So I live with this, well, what else am I going to do? Nothing. There's nothing else to do. Again, you can do any job. That's not what I'm getting at. But there's nothing else for us to do in this world than this. That's why we're here. We're here so that the gospel is preached to everyone. You are who you are. You live where you live. You have the job that you have because you are living under obligation to present the gospel to the world. You may not be an apostle. You say, well, this was Paul trying to get me on a technicality. I understand that. But we are apostolic. We live in this same sense of calling to bring the gospel to the world. No matter what it costs us. No matter how tired we are. No matter how difficult it may be. No matter how busy we seem to be. This is our calling in this world. And may we be faithful to what God has called us to do. I'll never forget, I may have said this already, being at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and being in Mark Dever's living room, and somebody asking him the question, how can we pray for you? And you can imagine the list of things that he could go through, on the list that he would have, the, the responsibilities, the people under his care. He said one simple thing that radically reshaped my understanding of what I'm called to do in this world again. I've heard it before, but I always need to hear it again. He said this, pray that I'm faithful to the end. Period. Next question. Pray that I'm faithful to the end. Pray that I do what God has called me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. 
And I think as we look at what God is doing in the world, that should be our posture. Faithfulness to the calling. Faithfulness to the gospel. Grateful that He's at work in the world. And praying feverishly, begging God, God, give me some sort of participation in this. Allow me to see it, invest in it, receive from it. And to remain faithful to the end, no matter what it costs us. Is that your heart today? Is that how you see your role in the world? Is that the, the, the lens by which you look at every decision, every dollar in your pocket, every relationship that you have, every interaction, every business dealing, every Monday through Sunday, every, every, everything? Is that the lens by which you look through the world? That I'm here as a grateful recipient of the grace of God. Really what I'm doing now is zooming in on your heart. Zooming in. Where is your heart? Are you begging God? And are you consumed with just simply being faithful? Who cares how impressive and great you are? Nobody cares. Be faithful to your wife. Be faithful to your kids. Be faithful to your employees. Be faithful to your neighbor. Be faithful to your God. Everything else doesn't matter. We all know at the end of the day when we stand before God, we won't hear, man, you, you are pretty awesome. You'll hear hopefully this, well done, good, and faithful servant. That's the only words we want to hear at the end of time. So may we respond faithfully to what God is doing in the world. Let's pray. Well, great God in heaven, we confess to you that we often, in our myopic view of life, can lack gratitude. We can literally walk around like Eeyore saying that this stinks, it's not fair. God doesn't love me. But when we zoom out to what we know you're doing in the world for centuries, since the beginning of time, we know that you are faithful, powerful. And so we thank you, God, for your powerful working in the world. God, we recognize that we often come to biblical community with a sense of what's in it for me. I pray that our prayer would move beyond, oh God, help me, and move toward God, use me in the lives of other people. Take the grace that you've given to me and use it to strengthen someone else in their walk with God. And I pray that we would be unshakable in our desire to just simply obey you. God, you are the one that is impressive and glorious. We fall so short of you. Pray that you would just empower us by your spirit. 